Oh, well, we are talking about being transformed by the gospel, and I want to encourage you to find two places in your New Testament, John's Gospel, chapter 15, our foundational passage for this series, and then uh, Galatians chapter 5. And as you're finding that, it is Mother's Day, and uh, uh, like any holiday, a lot of times it's, it's, it's a time of, of a lot of mixture of thoughts, of feelings, of emotions, uh, depending upon where you're at and kind of what your experience in life is. Uh, we were told in the scripture to rejoice with those who rejoice, uh, to, to weep with those uh, who weep, and, uh, and Mother's Day kind of has an occasion for both of that. For many of us, it's a celebration. It's a celebration of our moms, it's a celebration of their investment in our lives. Uh, for some, this is a tough day. It's a tough day. Maybe you've lost a mom in, in recent days, or maybe as a mother, you've lost a child. Or maybe your memories of mom is one who is absent or not necessarily positive. We have folks that are longing to be a mom, and God's sovereignty hasn't allowed that uh, to happen yet. And so there's, there's a, lot, a lot that comes into, uh, into a day like this. And so we, we kind of want to come alongside folks wherever they're in, in that. And so we do want to take a moment to rejoice and say thank you to moms. So if you are here today and you are a, a mom, we want to ask you to please stand for just a moment. All moms in the house, go ahead and stand if you would. And Let's say thank you to these uh, ladies and awesome. Thank you for all that you do in investing in this, uh, the generations to come. And uh, my mom assures me that you, you never get uh, to be beyond uh, uh, that role of mom and, and child there. So thank you for the investment. I do want to just uh, kind of have a word of prayer, just a, of gratitude, but also uh, to come alongside those that maybe this is a challenging day. So please join me in that prayer as I give voice to a prayer for us today. Father, thank you for... Uh, family. It was your idea from the beginning. Uh, you created it. You designed it. You knew how foundational it would be in culture and civilization in our lives individually. And Father, for many, many, many of us in this room, we can say thank you. Uh, thank you for a mom who wasn't perfect, uh, but a mom who invested in us, uh, a mom who loved us, a mom who even pointed us towards you. And we thank you and we are blessed. Father, for moms in this room, we pray, Father, for fresh encouragement, particularly for those that are just kind of in the, in the heat of those child-raising uh, years. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd give them fresh vision for their role and how vital and important it is, fresh encouragement for the difference they're making, uh, for uh, just appreciation even when maybe they don't feel it. Uh, just a fresh energy, fresh ideas and enthusiasm for that high and holy calling. Father, for those that perhaps today is a challenging one, we ask you to be their comforter. Uh, we ask you to meet them in moments like these as only you can. For those that are grieving, uh, would you be uh, the one who comes alongside? For those who are hurting, would you heal? For those that are hoping, would you be the one that stands with them in, in encouragement and perspective and endurance. Father, thank you that as we think about human relationships, we think about family, we think about moms. Father, so many of those qualities are just a reflection of how you relate to us. 
Thank you, Father, that in Christ Jesus, we can be a part of the forever family of God. And we give you thanks for this now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me in that, uh, that prayer. I heard about some, some college guys that had been living in the dorm and they had their first opportunity to have a, uh, an apartment off campus, right? And some of you maybe remember those, those times and it was, it was great. They were excited. They were going to get to live off campus. It was going to be their own place and all of these things and they were coming together. The only problem was there wasn't a housekeeper in the bunch, right? And so you know how this happens. Maybe for some of you, this creates some flashbacks here, right? Well, you know, they, they begin to kind of live together and dishes begin to kind of pile up in the sink and, and there's like milk from cereal that you didn't quite drain out and uh, eventually you can't really kind of see the sink and if you want a clean dish, you have to scrape something off and, and it starts to kind of smell a little bit in there like part locker room, part trash that hadn't been carried out in a while. I mean, you get the picture, right? You get the picture. That is, until occasionally one of their moms would come for a visit, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, things started to change, right? It's not that mom like did everything herself. She got her hands involved, but, but she knew how to motivate. She knew how to direct, right? She knew how to kind of get some things going. And, and in short order, uh, things began to look different. Things began to smell different. You could actually see the floor and see the sink and find a clean dish and all of these things. And, and if you were a friend of these guys, if you walked into the apartment after mama had been there, you would know, right? You would know that mom has been there, Because right? her presence made all the difference. When we think about being transformed by the gospel, one of our core convictions is that when there's this living connection to Jesus Christ, my life looks different. My life looks different. I can't be in a vibrant, living connection, an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ and my life not look different. And so we come to John 15, this, this core passage for our, our study here. We find Jesus talking to that, to that difference in terms of fruit. In terms of fruitfulness, let me remind you of his teaching. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Skip down to verse 8. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The evidence that Jesus Christ is there, the evidence that I am 
connected to Jesus Christ is that I bear fruit. I bear fruit. There is a a fruitfulness to my life. Now, the Scripture uses fruit in in lots of different ways, and we won't dive into all of those different ways today, Uh, but let it just be kind of that, that core understanding that where there is this living connection to Jesus Christ, my life looks different. My life bears fruit. And while most of us will probably nod our heads in agreement to that, The rub begins to come in when I say, you know, I don't always bear the fruit that I think I should. I don't always bear the fruit that I think honors and glorifies God. In fact, is sometimes it feels like it's three steps forward and two steps back. And maybe some days even the reverse of that. I mean, what's up? What's up with that? I mean, if I have this living connection to Jesus Christ, where's the fruit, right? Where's the fruit? And my hope today is to encourage you is to encourage you, but not, not in a Pollyanna sort of way, not in a way that, that kind of just says, you know, zippity-doo-dah, everything's going to be great, right? Uh, but a way that, that looks reality square in the face, but reminds us of the reality of what God has done and is continuing to do for us. And so my hope today is that you will be encouraged. And in order to do that, I want to take you over to Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, I want us to see very briefly this morning a struggle, a contrast, and then I hope some encouragement. A struggle, a contrast, and some encouragement. Galatians chapter 5, is as Paul is writing to uh, these folks who have begun in Christ and they've gotten kind of tangled up along the way, and uh, on one hand there's some legalism, on the other hand perhaps uh, tendencies toward uh, license, uh, and he speaks into that. And in verse 16 of chapter 5, he encourages them to keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, there's a lot there, but one of the first things I want you to see is that a Christian is not a person who experiences no bad desires. Sometimes we think, well, if I come to Christ, if I'm really in Christ, then then I won't ever struggle with these things. No, the reality is a Christian is a person who is at war with those desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's why the Scripture talks about a spiritual warfare, uh, because that, that warfare takes place even internally in our own lives on an ongoing basis. As long as we are in this world, as long as we're in a world marred and scarred and distorted by sin, we are going to be at war with these desires. But we don't do it alone. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why there's this encouragement to walk by the Spirit. But let's kind of break that down. And and what I hope to do in these few moments that we have is maybe to take some, some, sometimes some complex concepts and try to simplify them in a way that we can apply them in our lives. What does it mean to actually be walking by the Spirit? Well, it includes at least two things. It includes direction and empowerment. Direction 
and empowerment. So that if I'm going to walk by the Spirit, I'm going to walk in the direction that is in alignment with the Spirit, that is in alignment with the commands of Scripture that have been inspired by that same Spirit. So walking by the Spirit means that I'm walking in a direction that is led by the Spirit. But it also means that I do it in a power that is beyond my own, a power that is beyond my own capacity, so that if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, I am a new creation. The Scripture says I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within me, and so I have a new capacity, a new empowerment to live in a way that is pleasing to God, that helps me to be the person He created me to be, to do the things that he created me to do. Living by the flesh is the exact opposite of that. Living by the flesh means that I walk in a self-directed direction. I'm not always directed by the Spirit. I'm directed by self. Walking according to the flesh means I don't operate in in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but I operate in the empowerment that has been entrusted to me just in my humanness in creation. I walk without dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So on my own direction and without a dependence upon the Holy Spirit and independence from the Holy Spirit. And this works out in my life even as a follower of Christ, even as a new creation in Christ. And and let me maybe try to illustrate it this way. A year and a half ago, Susan and I uh, bought a new house. We moved into a new house. We had two separate houses. We sold those, uh, moved in, into a new house, new season of life. And, and what, what was happening for me, uh, I, I would leave the office in the evening or sometimes late at night. I would leave and, and I would start to go home. And I would exit the same way that I've always gone. And, and I would start. And I knew, I knew in my head that when I came to this intersection, the way to my new home was straight. You know what happened, right? There were countless days (laughs) when I I was still processing things in my brain. Sometimes I was on the phone or whatever it would be, and, and I would come to that intersection, and I would do what I'd been doing for 20 years. I'd turn left. Now, I knew where my new home was. I knew where I wanted to go. What was going on? There was a pattern ingrained in my life. There was a pattern ingrained in my life. It, it, it was in my mind, in my thinking, in my body, uh, that you come to this intersection, when you see this intersection, you turn left. And so there were countless times I would turn. Sometimes I would immediately recognize, oh, why did I turn? You know? Sometimes I would be like halfway up that road before it would like dawn on me. It's like, why am I going this way? It's going to be longer. I'm going to have to deal with more traffic. And this, Why do I do this, right? That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. The things that I want to do, I find that I don't always do. Sometimes the things that I don't want to do, I find myself still doing. Why is that if I am a new creation in Jesus Christ? Because there is still this principle of flesh at work within me. There are these embodied habits, these habitual ways of thinking, of speaking, of relating, of operating. All of these things are ingrained in me. And not only that, but I don't live in a morally neutral environment. 
You don't live in a morally neutral environment. And so we have this world system that operates in a way that reinforces, encourages, and speaks into our life, operate on your own direction. Operate in an empowerment not dependent upon God. And so when you come to the scripture, oftentimes it talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And so that we live in a world where, where it's kind of structured not to walk in the Spirit. We have an enemy. We have demonic forces that push that way. And then we have even remaining with us in our not yet fully redeemed bodies, this side of eternity, we have this principle of flesh at work in our lives. And so I'm going to be at war with that all the days of my life. Now, in verse 18, he talks about that if, if I am walking by the Spirit, uh, that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let me make sure I clarify that because a lot of times folks kind of, what is that? Or they mis- misunderstand that. To be not under the law, you're not under the law's punishment. You're not under the law's punishment. That, that I, I, I am no longer under the punishment for my sin if I am in Jesus Christ because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. That, that he took the complete punishment for my sin upon himself. The punishment that I deserved under the law, I no longer have because Jesus Christ took my punishment upon himself. I'm not under the law's punishment, but I'm also not under the law's oppression. I'm not under the law's oppression. See, the law, the law wasn't, wasn't wrong. It obviously was given by God, uh, but, but the law in and of itself was oppressive because while it told us what to do, it did not empower us to be able to do it. It's like being say, you've got to jump this high, and you don't have the capacity to jump that high. And so it was, there was an oppressiveness to the law. We have been set free from its punishment, and we have been set free from the oppressiveness of the law because now in Christ Jesus, we have an empowerment. We have a capacity that we did not have before. And so that we come to this understanding There is a very real struggle, but even in the midst of the struggle, I am not under the punishment of God. I preach the gospel to myself every day. I have been set free from the punishment by the finished work of Jesus Christ. But I also now have a capacity, a capacity to to live. The, The law is not wrong. The commandments are not wrong. I mean, Jesus gave commandments, right? Paul's letters are filled with commandments of don't do this, do this. He's kind of giving us these, these guidelines. This is what it looks like to walk according to the Spirit. This is what it looks like to live in alignment with God's best for your life, God's best for our lives together. Not under the law's punishment, not under oppression. And so we understand. Back up to verses 13 and 14. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law was fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The freedom that we have from punishment is not a freedom to do according to the flesh. It's a freedom to be who God created us to be, to do the things that God created us to do. But this side of eternity, there's always going to be a struggle. 
And that struggle is going to manifest itself in a contrast, contrasting outcomes, if you will. Look at verse 19 there of Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He's making this contrast. While there's this very real struggle, there is a contrast between works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want you to pay attention to those words. You might even want to underline works, works, because it is connected with with earning, as we'll see here in just a moment. Now, please understand, when you come to this list, uh, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit or or, or the, the works of the flesh, these are not exhaustive lists, all right? This is not like this is everything it will ever look like. No, these are representative. These are representative things. So in this short list, he talks about uh, uh, sexual sins. He talks about sensual sins. talks about uh, uh, societal sins. talks about religious spiritual sins. Those are just representative of what the works of the flesh look like. But what does he mean when he talks about works of the flesh? Well, the flesh is convinced of its own merit. The flesh is always about its own merit. And so that's why he says it's works, because the flesh is about merit. And that that flesh expresses itself through self-reliant morality or self-assertive immorality. Two kind of broad categories. Uh, But it's about merit. And so I can come, and sometimes, sometimes flesh expresses itself through self-reliant morality. And that's actually what Paul was talking about in a large part of the letter to the Galatians. He was a very, very moral person before he came to Christ. He was religious to the hilt, but he recognized that it was a self-reliant morality. It was operating out of the flesh. That's why you can have a coworker, you can have a friend, you can have a neighbor, and you, you may say, you know, they're not a follower of Christ, but they are a very nice person. They are a very moral person because they're probably operating out of a self-reliant morality. Uh, because of their culture, because of their upbringing, because of personality, whatever, there are certain things that they tend to do, and, and they tend to be somewhat moral. And so even those that are far from God, sometimes we'll talk about, well, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. They have some concept of morality, but it is a self-reliant morality. On the other end of the spectrum, flesh sometimes manifests itself in a self-assertive immorality, a self-assertive immorality. And that's what he was kind of talking about in that list there. And so while self-reliant morality says, I can be good enough, I don't need God, self-assertive morality says, I don't need God or anybody else telling me what's right. 
I don't need anybody telling me what's right or what's wrong. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And we, I think, see in our culture more and more and more evidence of a self-assertive immorality, uh, that I am not answerable to God or to anybody else. I'm going to do what I want to do. But behind all of those is the idea that I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I have earned enough. I am good enough in and of myself. But please understand, while these are kind of the the manifestations of it, the root, the root of this sin is a separation from God. It's a separation from God. And sometimes it manifests in a lot of different ways depending upon who we are, our upbringing, family of origin, social factors, all of those things. But at the root is a separation from God. And when I'm separated from God... I tend to operate out of flesh. I tend to operate out of merit. I tend to operate out of uh, of self-reliant morality or a self-assertive immorality. The contrast of works of the flesh is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through all of these. We've actually done a series of teaching on all of these. I'm not going to go through all of these, but I do want to point out one thing at the beginning here, and that is fruit is singular. Did you notice It's not plural, fruits of the Spirit. It's singular, fruit of the Spirit. And what does that tell us? That tells us that when Paul's talking about these things, it's not like, well, this is kind of like a cafeteria, so just go through and and kind of pick the ones you want. Uh, Love, joy, peace, (laughs) yeah, put those on the plate here. Patience, mm, self-control, No, 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 no. All of those things are part of the manifestation of what happens when I am in this living, vital, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. But notice the difference. While the flesh is about merit, a follower of Christ is depending upon grace through faith. It is always a dependence upon grace through faith. That's why Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me. Uh, That's where the fruitfulness comes because it is dependent upon a grace operating in my life through faith. It is dependent upon being connected to Jesus Christ. Our fruitfulness is maximized in a couple of ways. Two things that God does in his grace to maximize fruitfulness, and this jumps back to John 15. One of those is internally. Internally through Christ's life in us through the Spirit. That's why we looked at last week again and again and again in John 15, he says, abide, abide, abide. Because when I am connected, there is this life-giving flow. There's this life-giving flow of the Spirit that flows in me, and internally it begins to do a work of transformation. That's why we talked about the gospel is different from any other way that you will think about change or transformation. As helpful as some of those may be is because the gospel operates from the inside out. Grace operates from the inside out, and so it begins to transform me internally. So internally through Christ's life in us, as I abide in him, more and more his life flows through me. He begins to change my thinking, my patterns of of relating, my actions, my habits, my attitudes along the way. But also John 15 tells us that our fruitfulness is maximized externally through the sovereign rule of God the Father. Remember, Jesus said, he's the vine, we are the branches. 
If there's this vital connection internally, something's happening. But he also said the Father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is working externally, if you will. He's working sometimes in a pruning fashion. Why does he do that? To maximize fruitfulness in our lives. And so God will sovereignly rule over circumstances. He will bring some things to bear in my life. He'll allow some things to come into my life that probably I would not have chosen. Some of them may even be difficult and painful. But he'll do that in order to maximize what he wants to do in us and through us so that he can make us the people he designed us to be and to do the things that he created us to do. There is this very real struggle between the spirit and the flesh. And the contrast is what begins to show forth in our life, either works of the flesh or fruit of the spirit. But where I want to point us today is encouragement is encouragement, and I, I, that is my desire that perhaps you would leave encouraged today in the midst of the battle. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What is the encouragement that Paul is giving us here? I think the encouragement boils down to this. You and I can live in light of your new reality. You live in light of a new reality, a new identity, who I am, that my old life was crucified. It's dead. It's buried. It no longer has this control and dominion over me. We have crucified the flesh. Now, it's an act of God's grace. Somebody pointed out, rightly so, crucifixion you can't do to yourself, right? It's impossible. You don't, you don't have enough hands to, to be able to do it. If you're going to be crucified, somebody else has to be involved. It, it is that empowerment of God to, that who he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He, he put to death. In, in Romans, Paul put it this way. We know that our old self, our old self disconnected from God, our old self walking in the flesh was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Can I, can I just encourage somebody today? You no longer have to live as a slave to sin. You no longer have to live under the dominion of sin. Yes, there are habits and patterns that have been a part of your life. And yes, there's, there's perhaps a struggle, a spiritual war for you to engage in. But the war has already been won. The flesh has been crucified. It is crucified. It is, it is dying in us. It may still be waging some guerrilla warfare in certain pockets of our life, but it no longer has dominion over us. We can no longer say as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can't walk this way. I can't say no to that. No, you have been empowered. You're no longer enslaved by sin. Peter, who knew about operating in the flesh and learned about walking in the Spirit, put it this way. His divine power, his divine power has granted to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Think about that. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That you, you now have a power, you now have a capacity, the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, that, that vital life-giving connection to Jesus Christ has given you the power for all life and all godliness, that you have escaped from the corruption in this world because of sinful desire. That's what His power has done for you and for me. Let me give you one more example as Paul is is writing to Titus, and again, words of encouragement. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Remember what we've been talking about throughout this series. The grace of God is not just to forgive my sins in the past and to give me my entry ticket to heaven in the future. But the grace of God is for all of my life. It is the grace of God uh, that brings salvation, but then it works, training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. God didn't say, I saved you by grace, and now you're on your own. But he meets us in every moment. He's working internally. He's working externally in our life. That's why we've been saying week after week after week in this series, the same grace that has forgiven me is now in the process of changing me. The same grace that I was dependent upon for my salvation because no works could bring it about. That same grace is what is now in the process of changing me. I love the way that Dallas Willard talks about this. He says, grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. Grace is what we live by, and the human system won't work without it. And then this, this great word picture. He said, the saint uses grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. I mean, you, some of you pilots, you know how much fuel is required to get a 747 off the ground, right? If you and I are, are going to move beyond the gravitational pull of the flesh and the world and the enemy, we, it's going to have to take a greater capacity than ours. We're going to have to be fueled by grace. You don't just use grace at the beginning and grace at the end, but you burn through grace every single day of your life. The same grace that has forgiven me is in the process of changing me. That's why he said here, if we live by the Spirit, if we've been brought to new life by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And we have a role to play in that. Jerry Bridges puts it this way, holiness requires continual effort on our part and continual nourishing and strengthening by the Spirit. Not either or, both and. A continual effort on our part 
and a continual nourishing and strengthening by the Spirit. So Paul would write to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Even as he wrote to Titus, that it is the grace of God training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, right? Because we have to exert continual effort while we have continual nourishing and strengthening by the Spirit. Listen, I want you to be encouraged today. Encouraged that God didn't design you to struggle through the rest of this life on your own strength. That, That His grace is not only sufficient for forgiveness, not only sufficient to get you into heaven, right? It is sufficient for every situation that you and I will face today. Let me try to illustrate it this way. We were, you know, as humans, we're finding out more and more and more about the complexities of the human body. And as we kind of dive into DNA and and genes and all those things. Uh, And one of the fields of study, one of kind of the subgroups of that, has been looking at human physical performance, particularly athletic performance. And what many studies have indicated, and it seems like this is kind of this emerging consensus here, uh, is that there is an ACE gene. And like I'm talking about it like I know what the heck I'm talking about, right? I, I don't, okay? I'm just telling you what I've read. But there's this ACE gene, and in this ACE gene, if you have certain types of this ACE gene, you are genetically predisposed to do well, to thrive in endurance activities, Right? And immediately, some of us are saying, now I know why I wasn't an ultramarathoner, right? (laughs) I don't have the right genes, right? But here's the other part of that. Why the ACE gene and this particular variation of it is consistent in world-class endurance athletes. You still don't become a world-class endurance athlete unless you train, unless you push unless you get world-class coaching and all of those things. You have the genetic predisposition to thrive in that. But it still takes your focused, concentrated effort and training on the outside. And as I read that, I thought, that's, that's the picture. That's the picture of our life in Christ, isn't it? That as I, as I continually stay connected to Christ as I train myself through those spiritual growth habits, through those practices, staying connected to Christ, trusting that God the Father is at work externally, uh, just pruning and doing things to maximize my fruitfulness. As I continue to do that, I have been born again. I have been rewired internally so that now I have a capacity that I never had before. And you and I can live to the glory of God for the blessing of others, for our best, because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so today, I want you to be encouraged. The spiritual battle is real. No Pollyanna here. It is hard. That's why it's called spiritual warfare, right? But the victory has been won. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have already won the victory. Train yourself. Walk according to the Spirit. And you will be who God created you to be. You will do everything God has designed you to do. 
Let's go to him together in prayer, please. Oh, Father, thank you for your grace. (laughs) The, The grace that forgives us and the grace that transforms us. Thank you, Father, that you're still at work in each and every one of our lives, that you haven't given up on any of us yet. And Father, I just pray right here, right now, Lord, would you, would you just speak? Would you speak personally? Would you speak individually into every one of our lives? Father, would you help us to make this not just some theological theory, but would you help this to be a reality, a reality that we live out every single day of our life? Father, teach us, those who have been born again, who've been made alive by the Spirit, Father, teach us how to walk in the Spirit. And I'm just going to ask you just to be still for just a few moments.